Uh, it's a blessing always to be able to stand before you and honor and blessing in my life to be able to uh, present God's Word in the study of the Scriptures. And so we're going to do that this morning. And we're going to take from Matthew 13 and a number of other Scriptures. We're going to look at the subject that I think is very important. And this month, as we look at the subject of repentance, we're going to look at the, the, what the Bible teaches about the subject of hell. And I think a lot of passage, a lot of people would like to avoid it. But we cannot do that. This is a part of te Christ's teaching. And Jesus taught more about the subject of hell than uh, anybody else in the Bible. So look at what the Bible has to say about it. What the application of, is, of hell is. Are we to carry this around with us and, and, and reminding one another constantly, you know there's a place called hell? Uh, what are we to do with, with the, talk, the doctrine, the teaching, and the reality and what Jesus taught about hell? So we're going to think about that this morning. Before we do that, let's pray together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings upon us now. Guide us and instruct us through your word. Help us to rightly handle the truth. Help us, Father, to listen to the words of Christ and to the, the words of the biblical writers. May they continue to have an effect upon us and to change our hearts. Father, we thank you for the teachings and we thank you for your justice and, and your just wrath that is necessary. Father, may we always trust in you and on your decisions and what you've done. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So look at hell. Look at the subject of the reality of hell, and I think there's a lot of important things we want to think about here and to understand about this subject. A lot of misconceptions about hell, too. And I often have had people say to me, how can hell be true? How can a loving God allow this hell, an eternal punishment for those who have sinned against Him and have committed sins? We're going to look at that in some detail. But blessed are those who recognize that God must be absolutely just. God must be absolutely just. And that's certainly got to be true for hell to be just. There is a place of which people who are in rebellion against God, and when they die, they will go to this place in which the Bible talks about, separated from God. God's given us life. He's given us comfort. He's given us His blessings. And when we rebel against Him, we are cutting ourselves off from Him. And when we go and we die, and we go into the afterlife, and we go to the next life, and we have done that when we are separated from Him, we cannot expect a life that would be at peace. We cannot expect one that's going to be at comfort from the One who has given us everything and every blessing. There's going to be just as a consequence of being separated from our Creator and from our Savior, there's going to be this, this place. And it's going to be torment. What we see here, and we're going to make some observations here from Matthew chapter 13, 36-43. And this is based upon the parable we had read to us this morning about God's judgment. And why is this important? You look at the teachings of Christ and how He taught about the subject of hell. He does use it many, many times in uh, the, the audience of, of believers and unbelievers and those who are listening to Him. But for the most part, we're going to see that His teaching on the subject of hell is to believers. It's to disciples. And why is it that Christians, the disciples of Christ, that the followers of Jesus need to hear about this subject and the reality of hell uh, more so than, than unbelievers? And so I don't see a lot of places in the Bible where the subject of hell is being cast before unbelievers because I don't think those who don't, that unbelievers are going to fully be able to understand this, to understand the consequence of our sins. We do see in the Bible and stressed, God's judgment is coming. 
And I think most people understand God, the creator of everything, the source of all goodness, the standard of what's right and wrong, that He's going to be the ultimate judge. And we understand that and respect that. Now, a lot of people would like to give them a, themselves a permissive note and say, well, I'm a good person and God's got to save me. He's not going to do any harm to me. Um, and I can live however I want to. And, and there's some conflict there that they're not listening to. So we're going to take a look at this passage here, Matthew 13. I want to listen to what Jesus has to say on the reality of hell and on that judgment day. So Matthew 13, Jesus already told the parable of the sower. That's what we had read to us about uh, the man who went out and sowed, who sowed his own seed, good seed, and, and then his enemy came and sowed the weeds. And that they waited till harvest. The owner of the field waited till harvest before it was all going to be gathered up. And then the, the weeds and the wheat will be separated. The weeds gather into the barn and the weeds are going to be burned. And Christ means that very much in reality, that those who rebel against him will be burned. All right, so Matthew 13, look at verses 36 to 43. So he says he let the crowds and went in the house. Notice this, he's separate from teaching the crowds now and the multitudes. He's talking to his disciples. And then it says, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Christ. He sowed the good seed. The field is the word and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered, and just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Can you hear that? I think a lot of people don't listen to these words. And I think it's very eye-opening to us to know that our God is absolutely just. On your sheet in the bulletin, if you're following along, you can fill in these blanks here. But we see this. Observations here from Matthew 13 that Jesus depicted the events to come. The events to come at the completion of the age. So that's what he's giving a picture of. He's telling us about Judgment Day. He's telling about the consequences of being in rebellion against God and turning against Him. That's his instruction. Jesus doesn't hold back from this. He doesn't shy away from it. He says this is what's going to happen. He told the parable and then He gave the interpretation to His disciples. Christ revealed that the children of the evil one, that of those of the devil, will be burned with fire. They will be burned with fire. Now some have said, was this a literal fire? Isn't this a spiritual place? Is this just the way it's going to be felt? The only expression of torment of being separated spiritually from God? You know, and I used to think about that myself and think that was a, you know, a good way of looking at it. But I think we need to be a bit more literal about it, more realistic on what the Bible says about this fire. We're going to look at that a little bit further. We went on a little bit further, and what we'll read, and this is another observation from Matthew 13, is that Christ will send out His angels. On that day of judgment, He sends out His angels to enact justice, to remove those who are wicked, and to cast them into what is called the fiery furnace, 
removing the wicked from his domain and from his kingdom. We see this too, that the children of the devil, who are these? And I think that's the big question because these are the ones who are going to hell. Who are they? What it literally says in Greek, it's those who cause sin or cause stumbling in sin. Those who are causing others to live in a life of rebellion and live in wickedness. And then it also says those who work lawlessness. They live wicked lives and rebellions against God, what is right and wrong, and against His standard and His teaching. And as we see that, I don't want any part of that. There's no way I want to be on that list of being a child of the devil. I want to be a child of God. There's no way I want the consequence of that fiery furnace or be someone who's going to cause other people to rebel against God or cause them to sin. We see this also. Jesus says the workers of evil, they're cast, they're thrown into a fiery furnace. You know, you get the pictures of the fiery furnace. We might think about those who have endured persecution in the book of Daniel. You might think about that. But in this case, we're looking at those who are wicked. Those who have done evil. That they are being placed into the fiery furnace. It also recalls to my mind that Jesus said there will be few who are saved and many who are lost. Remember that? In Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think a lot of people would put it in perspective and think, well, certainly these, those who are going to hell are going to be far fewer. But that's not what Christ told. That's not what He, that's not what he, he gave in His instruction. He revealed to us what's going to happen. Now, another thing that's given here that's very vivid is that there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of torment. People are going to grit their teeth. They're going to be, there's crying in the context of this, of what they have done and the sins they've committed. Now, what Jesus is doing here is Jesus not the first one to say this. At least, not while He was in the flesh. But God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. The very last verse of Isaiah speaks of hell in this place as being a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. And we're going to look at some more descriptions about hell as we go along. But it's a place of torment and it's a place of separation from God. But lastly, there's also a passage of encouragement here. Jesus says that the righteous will shine in the kingdom of their Father. And again, this was already spoken of in the book of Daniel and prophesied. Daniel chapter 12 talks about the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of condemnation of those who have done evil. And then he says in the next verse, in Daniel 12 and verse 3, he says, but the righteous, they're going to shine like stars forever in eternity. And so you have the promise here in the, in the picture where do you want to be a child of God or do you want to be a child of the evil one? Do you want to be the one who causes sin, who lives in lawlessness, who comes to the state of fiery hell, of that furnace? Or do you want to be one who shines brightly in God's kingdom, who lives righteously, who follows Christ and follows God, who is truly devoted? And so Christ's parable accomplishes that mission, doesn't it? It puts a conviction with us as Christians and disciples that there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. And while unbelievers might not quite, they might not understand the concept of hell and not have a vivid and accurate picture of its justice, it motivates me as a Christian that I want to persuade others. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10 and 11. He says, knowing the justice of God's wrath, we want to persuade other men. We want to persuade all people to be saved, to escape from this fire. Now Jesus also says here in Matthew chapter 13 in the context, He's speaking of judgment. He's giving these events and it's most in the context of His followers. And He says here that He says and He speaks these parables and gives these words so that those who hear, remember that? He says, if you have ears, hear. 
He says, those who see, those who hear, and those who understand may comprehend this. And that tells me a lot. It tells me that, you know, I can speak to someone about hell and they may not fully grasp it. But us as Christians, we do. We understand this and we believe Christ and we believe the teachings about it and what the Bible has to say on the subject of hell and Gehenna torment, this fiery furnace. And it should make an, and have an effect upon us. Now, I want to talk about two things this morning I think that are very important that often come up in questions. And that is the reality of hell and some have often brought into their minds, well, hell can't be eternal. Hell can't be eternal is what a lot of people say. But when we read the Bible, we see that hell is eternal. It is everlasting. It is an everlasting fire. Revelation 14 and verse 11 tells us that. And some would say, well, it can't be a physical place. It can't be an actual reality. But I would challenge you on that as well. What Jesus teaches here is that it is a physical torment. That there will be a resurrection of the wicked. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. And that they will go into this fiery place. And I believe very clearly that it is a fiery torment. And this eternal place, it is both physical and has spiritual torment involved. So when we read like Luke 16 and we read about the rich man and we see him in the lake of fire and we read about his torment and we see how he is thirsting and we see this wicked man and what he's done. That's a reality. That's a picture of what it will be like. And we're going to look at some more details about that as we move on. But let's first look at the subject of it being eternal and just. Okay, so a lot of people think in their mind, all right, I know my sins and God knows that I stole and I took these things. Wouldn't it be just if I just had 10 years, right, of punishment for what I've stolen, taken from others, or maybe 20 years and God would determine it? It doesn't make sense to me that it would be eternal, that it would be everlasting. And someone might say, well, I committed adultery. Shouldn't I just live alone for about 50 years and torment after what I'd put my, my spouse through? And someone might reason that way, and they might start collecting all their sins together and say, well, I should have this punishment for this and that, and it starts to look like Dante's Inferno and uh, kind of that kind of a picture. And it sounds like something that will not last. Saying that is missing the eternal consequences of what we do in this life. You're missing it. If you think it's just about adding up your sins, that's not how it works. Okay? Your punishment in hell might be according to your sin. And I'll give you some scripture on that. But that's not the duration of it. The duration of it, we see in passages from Jesus, says in Matthew 25, he talks about hell. He talks about an eternal and everlasting punishment. Revelation 14 talks about an everlasting fire. There are other scriptures that talk about an eternal torment and a place where um, those who have done wicked and rebelled against God and Christ will be there. They will suffer. They've chosen this path. To put it in perspective, I think this passage right here is very helpful. Hebrews chapter 10, 26-29. It tells about the punishment, the fiery punishment for those who rebel against God. And the writer of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul, is saying very clearly, he's not saying it's just about each individual sin. But the punishment is this. There is eternal consequence because he says that those who turn against God and rebel against Him are trampling the Son of God underfoot. You understand that? What you're saying is, okay, God, the eternal God who gave me life, 
You gave me everything. Here you sent your son as a sacrifice. He's offered me eternal life and I'm rebelling against the eternal God. I'm rebelling against his son. I'm saying the sacrifice was not worth my time and my devotion. I'm going to live the way that I want to live. What you're doing is rebelling against God, the eternal God, and eternal, and there are eternal consequences for that. You've turned against eternal life. You're insulting the Spirit of grace, it says there in Hebrews chapter 10. It says you've insulted God's grace. That's what you've done. When you live in a life of sin and rebellion against God. Now we all know that we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We also know that if we walk in the light and of becoming Christians and being baptized and living a faithful life, God saves us by grace so that those sins are not held against us. But if I live in a life that's in rebellion against God, I'm kindling my own fire, as Isaiah 50 and verse 11 says. I'm kindling my own fire, putting my own pile of wood together. I'm storing up wrath, my own wrath. I've done it to myself, and I've put myself in that position. We see that in Romans chapter 2. You think about this. Some have looked at passages like Luke chapter 12, verses 47 to 48, where Jesus says that those who rebel against their master will receive different levels of stripes. And so there may be levels of, and degrees of how it's punished, but it doesn't take away from the duration of it an eternal consequence of what was done. As I mentioned earlier, we do this to ourselves when we rebel against God. We store up wrath. We're the ones kindling the fire of hell. But the Bible says everyone can find God. Everyone must seek God. That if you seek, you will find. That's what Christ has told us. And so there's no excuse on the day of judgment to say, I didn't know any better. I didn't know God. When the Bible says this, you can, tells us you can know God. And that God's grace is overwhelming. That He wants to save everyone. The Bible says, remember that? 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. That God wants all people to be saved. And He's given everybody the opportunity and ability. Every adult, every accountable individual to be able to be a believer and to be saved. So knowing these things, what do we do with them? And Paul says, again, knowing these things, knowing the judgment of Christ, knowing that we'll all appear before the judgment seat of God, we persuade men. Or I like the description in Jude, verse 23, where Jude says, listen, you see those who are in distress. You see those whose, whose eternal destiny and life are at stake. You see that hell is a real threat. Threat, And he says there, we want to snatch them from the fire. We want to rescue them. I had a friend of mine down in Sarasota who's a firefighter. And I said, man, I love your job. There was one time, uh, he's a very heroic guy. I remember he, there was an event in which he saved a family from a fire. And he was running from the house and the house exploded behind him. And it was all caught on TV and he looked amazing doing it. And I said, man, that was amazing. It was, it was so great that you saved those people from fire. And he says, you know what? That's the job of every Christian, isn't it? That was his application. Is that everybody does that. That we have a role in snatching and saving people from the fire. And if some, one thing you don't take, if you don't learn anything new this morning on the subject of hell, you at least put it in perspective. That we want to save others from that fire. And it needs to be a constant commitment from us. Now another thing, we see that the eternal consequences of hell make sense. But the consequences in the state of hell are something to be realized too. Listen to what Jesus says. 
I'm going to go to Jesus on all this, plus he taught more about hell and everything. But for many people who are so distrusting, they need to hear it straight from Christ. Listen to what Jesus describes here about hell. And he's, again, reflecting on Isaiah 66 and verse 24 and applying it and warning people and telling his disciples. And notice here that the description is of a physical, bodily torment. It's not just a spiritual one. So, Mark 9, 42 and following. Christ says, But whoever causes one of these little ones, he's talking about children, causes them to... Um, who believe in me to stumble or to sin. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And I think we recognize that. Anybody who hurts a child or does evil to a child, they deserve punishment and consequence. He goes on, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Okay, this is hyperbole. It is hyperbole, but I think at the same time, if you have no other option, and it really were in a state, what he's saying here is you want to cut off sin. Cut off. And then when it comes to your hand, if your hand causes you sin, it's better for you to cut it off and it's better for you to enter to life maimed. In other words, it's better for you to go into eternal life without your hand. Well, will I have a body into eternal life? Yes, God's going to re- Christ is going to resurrect us. We will rise in the last day. We will have glorious bodies, the Bible says. And so he says here, as far as hell... He says, rather than having two hands to go into hell. So, wait a minute. If I live in sin and rebellion against God, I will feel the physical torment of it. I will go with both of my hands. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. He says to go into hell. I'm going to emphasize it a little bit further as we go along. To go into hell into fire that shall never be quenched. Notice that it is, it is everlasting fire. Never be quenched. It will never stop. He says, whence the, he says, whence or where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Again, that is from Isaiah. The picture of hell. A worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. Where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. He goes on, Jesus says, if your foot causes you to sin, if your foot causes you to sin, how can my foot cause me to sin? Of course, taking me to the wrong place. Hyperbically, hyperbole and As an exaggeration, he's saying, cut it off. Remove that sin. It is better for you to enter life lame. And so Christ is stressing here, you need to repent. You need to know there are eternal consequences. He says it's better to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into that fire, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Again, quoting Isaiah. Read it again. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So the picture here is of a a bodily state on hell. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 5 when he said there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Just as Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 that there will be a rising of both. There will be a bodily suffering for those who die in rebellion against God. So Jesus taught this resurrection and he gave it in detail. I want to share with you another passage. And this is not the only one. You can find this repeated from Christ. But Jesus was talking to his, uh, his apostles and he taught them this. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. 
He says, but rather fear Him, that's God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Both soul and body in hell. And that should put it in perspective for us. There's a reason why the Bible teaches us, instructs us to treat our bodies as the holy temple of God. To live a holy life. To live a life that's devoted to God, that is pure and right. Because if you believe in Him and you trust in your Creator, you're going to follow Him with all your heart. You're going to be devoted to Him. You're not going to be in rebellion against Him. But those who are in rebellion, those who live in lawlessness, those who cause other people to sin, as Christ says, they will go to the fiery furnace. And the fire will not be quenched. Some people claim that they would rather be in hell than in paradise. You ever heard someone say that? I'd rather go to hell than be with you Christians in, he in heavenly paradise. What a foolish statement to say. All right? And I, I think, first of all, you can have a lot of people who claim to be Christian who are living rebellious lives against God, who are acting the evil way. It didn't matter if they carry the name. Even the Bible says that those who say, Lord, Lord, you remember that? What Christ says in Matthew chapter 7. And yet Jesus will say to them, get away from you. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. The truth is, is if I claim God and I claim to be a Christian, I better live by it. Because in reality, it is those who are written in the book of life who will be saved. It is those who follow Him, who live by love, who live by the Scriptures, who will be saved. If you don't live by love, you live in rebellion against God, you're going to separate yourself. You're going to kindle your own fire. You're storing up your own wrath. So what is the reality of hell? I want to look at a few other details before we conclude this morning. Jesus, when He's talking about hell in the Bible and it translates it as hell, is the Hebrew and Greek word Gehenna. And Gehenna refers to a fiery trash pit from what we know from history outside of Jerusalem. But originally it was even worse than that. And Jesus uses it as to describe this fiery trash pit as a picture of hell. Of that everlasting fire. See, another thing the Bible tells us about Gehenna is that it was the Valley of Tophet. The Valley of Hinnom. That's what Gehenna means, the valley of Hinnom. And it's where the idolaters and the pagan worshipers would sacrifice their children in fire to Molech. There's a number of scriptures on it, and I can't even list them all here. They take up the whole slide. But you get, again, the picture, the biblical picture of this place. It's a place of the wicked. It's a place where evil goes because of their rebellion against the God who loves them. It's the only place they could go. The Bible says that God prepared hell and He created it for the devil and His angels. Those who rebelled against Him. It doesn't appear to me that it was originally for humanity. But where are you going to go? You can't be with God if you rebel against Him. You're going to go to that place of separation. A place of torment. The anguish of hell is depicted in the Scriptures. Hell is described as the lake of fire. Where the beast and the false prophet go in the book of Revelation. Where Satan himself goes. He's not the ruler of hell. He goes there in torment. And you can read that there in Revelation chapter 20 as well. Where those whose names are not written in the book of life, this is where they go. Where those who live wicked lives, who are even lived as cowards and liars and thieves and murderers, we read about them who live sexually immoral life. Revelation 21 and verse 8 says, this is that place, the lake of fire. The Bible describes it as, you know, you picture fire and you might think of light. But Jesus describes it as the outer darkness. Repeatedly. He calls it the outer darkness. Other biblical writers talk about this. Peter says that it's 
everlasting chains of darkness. Or as Jude gives a similar description as well, but it's the blackness of darkness forever. And you get that picture of hell, I want no part of it. I want no part of it. Eternal darkness, the consequence of the pain of fire that I myself have brought upon myself, I don't want any part of it. And the Bible teaches who is going there. Those who are in rebellion against God, those who practice lawlessness, those who don't follow Him, those who don't obey the Gospel, those who reject Jesus Christ. And someone might say, well, why would God do this? And I've heard people say this before. Does God enjoy this? No. God desires that no one perish. That no one face this torment. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. In the book of Ezekiel, it says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants all people to be saved. And in love, He sent Christ to save humanity. In the perspective of being separated from God and what hell looks like, I hope this morning this helps us. If you've got a sin in your life, cut it off and remove it. You've got people and friends and family you haven't shared the gospel with and you haven't talked to them about God, talk to them. Persuade men. Take the instruction of the Great Commission seriously. And let's reach out to them. And the Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 8 that God has demonstrated His love to us through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still in rebellion, Jesus died for us. This morning, you can obey the Gospel. You can confess your faith in Christ. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized into Christ. You can put on Christ and live a faithful life committed to Him. It begins there. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you become devoted. The Bible says about those who are in rebellion and don't obey the Gospel and don't know God, that they are facing fire and God's judgment. You can look again at these Scriptures here. It's an unending list of warnings throughout the Bible and Christ would tell us if He were in the flesh right now in our presence, He'd be warning us about this. He'd be teaching us these things that we read about in the Scriptures. And He taught so accurately and in such detail about hell. I encourage you this morning, avoid hell. Pursue eternal life. The heavenly country, the heavenly kingdom, the everlasting kingdom that God wants to give to you. He wants none to perish. You can obey the gospel this morning. We encourage you to come. You need prayers. We encourage you to come. Let's sing together.